welcome to The Lead, an NBA pod. Today on this first episode, I'm joined by Dre. Unfortunately, our third host couldn't be with us right now, but during this season, you can expect to hear us three every Tuesday going over league news and breaking down key matchups for the rest of the week. Of course, as things happen, we'll talk about it. So if a crazy game happened the day before, it'll definitely get covered on the podcast. Because opening night is only a week away, over the next four episodes, we'll be doing a preview for all 30 teams by division, one out west and one in the east each day. To get things started today, we'll be breaking down the Pacific and the Central Divisions, giving you a quick glimpse into each team. All right, all right, we're here. Uh, so, Drake, what's up, man? Anything you want to tell the people about? Or, you know, tell them where to follow you before we get started? Uh, for sure, but not really, because that's my personal. <laughs> but, nah, you all can call. I mean, you can follow me on uh, DeAndre Branch on Instagram. Great insight, little content about, you know, the pot, as well as Dre the Don on Twitter. But uh, don't tweet often. But that could change, so we'll see. Also, miscellaneous, but important. Make sure you check out that new Wale album. Uh, amazing piece of work. And, yeah. Man, yeah, I've been sleeping all day. I might have to do that. Yeah. But, anyways, uh, let's get into it with the Pacific Division. And the first team we have is the Golden State Warriors. So, this summer... Uh, they had a lot of losses to their roster, a lot of change-ups. So Jordan Bell, Andrew Bogut, Quinn Cook, DeMarcus Cousins, Kevin Durant, Jonas Jarepko, and Sean Livingston were all lost in free agency, as well as Andre Kudala, who was traded in a salary dump to the Memphis Grizzlies, and Damian Jones was traded to the Hawks for Mari Spellman. They also added Alec Burks, Willie Cauley-Stein, Marquise Chris, and Andrew Harrison, um, as well as drafting Jordan Poole, Alan Smalajek, and Eric Pascal. And, of course, they traded for D'Angelo Russell in the Kevin Durant signing trade. Last year, they were first in the West, and they finished in the finals, losing to the Toronto Raptors. Going for this season, what do you think they're going to look like out there? Yeah, so, obviously, Golden State, you know, um, misses their most impactful play- player. And they were fortunate to have two, you know, top five players, you know, uh, playing on the same team and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. So losing Kevin Durant is going to be the largest hurdle they had. But I guess some of the more important pieces that people aren't, you know, maybe cognizant of is some of that depth and that veteran leadership they lose with, you know, Sean Levinstein and and- Andre Iguodala. Now, obviously not a lot of regular season production, but in a postseason, you know, that uh, type of mentorship and that, um, tenacity of being there before you know you can't really provide that with the new acquisitions but they do have a great depth of new blood coming in I think the Angelo Russell signing will be a slept on you know asset you know they can either use it as a trade chip or and that and it's also firepower while Clay is out um Jordan Poole I, you know I watched him in summer league liked him a great deal you know you still have you know the nucleus of you know Draymond Clay and Steph which is also nice so you know, hey, they they take a step back. You know, they're not necessarily in the contender status, but definitely still a playoff team. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. And I guess since we're here, I should mention that they did resign Draymond Green five years, one hundred eighteen million dollars, and Clay Thompson to that five year max for one hundred ninety million, as well as bringing Kevin Looney back for three years, fifteen million, and extending the qualifying offer to Damian Lee. And I do think that just like having Clay when Clay gets back and Draymond there, having already done it before with those guys. They're going to have to lean on that because all these new guys, I even heard Draymond say that it's been tough having to, you know, go every over everything three or four times in training camp where you used to be able to just, you know, get in and get right. things done. So it's going to be a lot of relying on them for sure. <laughs> One thing I do worry about, though, is that small forward depth. Do you think that Clay is going to start at small forward when it gets, like, later in the season? Yeah, I mean, that's starting – I mean, whether small forward depth has always been kind of, like, in question, especially, like, you know, an injury. So, you know – Andre Iguodala wasn't 100% last year, and they suffered immensely because of that. And obviously, you know, Kevin Durant, and literally they were just looking to fill bodies at that point. So small forward has always been a position of need for them. What I'm interested in seeing is that um, going forward in the season, if they're going to, you know, have that diet of, you know, Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell at the one and two, and then transition Clay to that small forward role since he's about six seven. Now, he's predominantly, you know, a shooting guard, but I think he could seamlessly flow in positionless basketball as a small forward and then go with a super small, 
ball lineup, you know, with you know, obviously, you know, Draymond Green at the four or the five, or even Kevin Looney at the five, you know, and Draymond Green at the four. So some interchangeable parts there. Uh, definitely, definitely. We should go from here. It's just uh think we'll preview what we think uh are some possible outcomes for them. In my head, the best thing that could happen to carry them deep into the playoffs is Steph Curry having that MVP-like performance, just having explosions night after night and being consistent. Do you think that's a possibility for them? Or do you think that's oh, still in the course? Steph, Steph Curry's going to have, uh, as close to, you know, those back-to-back unanimous MVP seasons um, as possible. Like, he's going to come back with a force. He's hearing all the noise and the chatter that Golden State has fallen off because, you know, Kevin Durant isn't there. But we also have to think that this is also a 72-win team before KD came, you know? So... They definitely have the wherewithal and they have the camaraderie to, you know, kind of combat, you know, these stereotypes. So Steph is going to come out with a vengeance, man. You know, I think he's going to have a couple of 60-night games, 10 three-point night games. I mean, he's going to make it a mission to have his, you know, impact felt on the Golden State Warriors moving forward, especially as they transition to that new facility. You know, they have to keep selling the seats. So I think Steph Curry and Steve Curry, you know, have had an inside conversation on taking their games to the next level and kind of writing this ship or, like, you know, curbing some people's expectations of it. So I expect Steph to have a dynamite year. I'm talking about, like, 30, probably, like, 35 and 6. You know, that, well, I ain't going to say he's going to average 30, but probably, like, 28, 5 and 6. And that's, that's what I'm predicting. It's on, that's on the wax. It's on record. <laughs> now nah, I can definitely see that. For sure. Also, I think D'Angelo Russell being able to handle the ball some takes some of the load off of Steph Curry's, you know, shoulders. One thing that I feel like people are talking about is the possibility of them missing the playoffs. I mean, I'm not one to say that. I just really, like we said before, I think they have a lot of things they can still rely on. And Steph is still Steph. I still have him the best point guard in the league. But you think that's a possibility of them falling out of the eight, the eight seed? Yeah. So I say worst case scenario is that they are a seventh or eight seed. I don't, I don't see them missing the playoffs barring another extreme injury either to their, one of their core components. And my core components, are, I mean, either Draymond or Steph. Uh, I think they could withstand actually a, you know, a injury from D'Angelo Russell. Not saying he's insignificant, but beneath those core foundational pieces is a driving force and that, you know, veteran leadership in the locker room to kind of go against some of the highs and lows and peaks and valleys of an NBA season. But barring an in- in- injury from Steph or Draymond, uh, they're seventh or eighth seed at worst. For sure, for sure. I can definitely, I think I can get behind that. Uh, I guess before we move on to, there's this whole theory out there that I kind of subscribe to that D'Angelo Russell might just be trade bait or yeah. something else. What do you think? So, I mean, hypothetically, D'Angelo doesn't fit, you know, once Clay gets back because he's, you know, really a combo one or two. Um, and Clay, I mean, and then Steph is already a one. Uh, and then Clay is pretty much a two. You know, I, we haven't seen him drift off into that three roll. Um, we're also in positionless basketball, but there is a redundancy with, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Clay um, in a starting lineup, you know, and it just wouldn't make sense to, um, you know, have both of them starting, especially if it would create some defensive deficiencies with Steph not being the most stout defender. Um, and if they can address that small forward need uh, with a great person, let's say they can get like a Jimmy Butler or something like that. Uh, and I know he's predominantly a two, but he can easily handle, you know, two through four as far as defensive, you know, matchups, especially in the West. So if you can get one of those types of contracts or one of those types of players, that can boost you back into championship contention. So if you, if you have one of those stout small forwards or, you know, combo forwards, uh, I would say definitely take the leap on that. Otherwise, just ride it out, you know, see what he can get. For sure. Uh, all I hear is Andrew Wiggins. Uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, Wow. <laughs> Conversation for another day. Uh, uh, next thing we have is the Clippers. Uh, so this offseason, they lost Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple, Sundarius Thornwell, and Tyrone Wallace. Of course, they traded Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gilgis Alexander plus five first round picks uh, for Paul George. And that was all because they got ah. in the free. So, I mean, it was worth it, some would say. But beyond Kawhi, they got Patrick Patterson as well. They traded for Mo Harkless in that Jimmy Butler 14 trade. And they drafted Kevin Gale and Terrence Mann. I was not about to go for his first name because that's crazy. <laughs> uh, they, they also re-signed Patrick Beverly for three years, forty million. Jamichael Green, two years, ten million. Uh, they extended the qualifying offer to Rodney Magruder. They got Jonathan Motley on the two-year or two-way deal, 
and Vika Zubac for four years, $28 million. Last year, they were eighth in the West and had a first-round exit to Golden State. So with all that and the acquisitions of the two main guys, what do you think is in store for the Clippers? So obviously, you know, and I'm going to hop on the media bandwagon here, but the acquisition of Kawhi Leonard alone catapults you into high playoff contention, meaning like three or four seed. Then you get Kawhi and Paul George, two stout two-way players. They're definitely my favorites as far as uh, winning the championship this year. I mean, just the amount of defensive tenacity they have, uh, the people who can create their own shots and get their own buckets. I mean, we're forgetting about Lou Will in this equation as well. And he's a certified bucket, you know, coming off the bench or as a hyper, you know, he can be a starter, you know, depending on those rest days that Kawhi would need in order to progress throughout the season, just like the load management he did in Toronto. Um, it provides them a great deal of flexibility um, as far as, like, playing with their starting lineups. I mean, and then that that backcourt uh, depth, I'm well, the backcourt is vicious, honestly. Uh, we were talking about Pat Bells, yeah. uh, Paul George, if he plays the two or the three, it really doesn't matter, uh, and Kawhi Leonard. Like, you're not scoring many buckets on that, you know, backcourt, you know, period. You know, the only thing to address is that frontcourt, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Um, but the amount of depth they have and, you know, just sheer star power with arguably, and I know I'm going to get some, the best player in the league in Kawhi Leonard. It just kind of takes you to the next level with already a very stout, you know, playoff team, honestly. I mean, they barely made it last year, but they were still a playoff team without having two, you know, top 10 players in the league. So definitely, definitely. Yeah. Their backcourt is crazy. Like the, the fact that you can get it are different types of players, like whatever you need for whatever situation. You need somebody to guard. You got Pat Bev. You need instant scoring. You got Lou Williams. You have arguably the best two-way player in terms of just like elite offense and elite defense and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is like one and two. I mean, you might go Giannis up there somewhere, but those are like the guys. You still got Landry Shaman off screens. Like you have everything you possibly yeah. could ever ask. Yeah, they have a pretty complete team, yeah. honestly. Like I said, the only thing that could address is that, you know, some of that front court depth. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Speaking of that, yes, we need to talk about that because this whole idea of them being the best defensive team, I just don't agree with that because if you look at the best defenses in, you know, league history, it always starts with the center. If you don't have that guy in the paint to lock down the paint, it's really hard to build a great defense. Even if you have lockdown guys at every position, I don't know. No, totally agree. Totally agree. But I feel like they don't even need a game changer, you know, at the four to five. They just need a big, strong defensive body who can deter shots, you know, deter floaters, deter layups. That's it. Montrez Hill is going to be a great addition. You know, the chemistry that him and Lou will have is going to be paramount, you know, either starting or off the bench, you know, especially off the bench, though. But if they can get that, like, JaVale McGee prototype or that Willie Carlos Stein prototype with, you know, good shot-blocking instincts. Obviously, Rudy Gobert will be on the extreme end, but a good, you know, presence who can go vertical, contest some shots, grab rebounds, just outlet. They have enough scoring. They just need that big body to kind of deter away some of that. So, like, a be on the lookout for, like, plumbly trade or looking at some of those people, you know, at the trade deadline or, you know, as people are getting waived at certain points. I think the Clippers are going to be one of those hot teams to either, you know, pick up, you know, Andre Iguodala or one of those, you know, veteran bigs who can kind of help them with that some of that depth issue. Because that's kind of what Toronto did last year, you know. And you just need a couple pieces. That Marcus you know, acquisition was essentially the Joel Embiid stopper and allowed them to kind of get to the next level and in turn, you know, kind of dominate uh, the playoff series. You know, obviously Kawhi Leonard was a you know huge counterpart, but you need those, you know, small pieces. They end up having large roles and big bodies in order to play make and get to the next level. So yeah, they have a word of potential. Like I said, I still think they're one or two moves away. But I feel like they're the probably the best title contenders. And honestly, like one of the more complete teams in the NBA. No, definitely, definitely. And that's also why I think that a Mo Harkless trade might be in their best interest. Because while Mo Harkless is a great offensive big, his defense leaves a lot to be desired. And it's just like with all the scoring they already have, it's not something they really need. It's kind of like, it's just, I don't know, it's like more icing on the cake, but it's already it's already complete. So I think just leveraging some of the guys like that to get that big that you need, I think will be smart. It's something that we should definitely be on the lookout for. And you've already said it, like they're definitely NBA title favorites. Like they have to be the top three 
Yeah, definitely. I guess the one or the big negatives would be will Kawhi and PG be healthy? Um, do you have anything comments on that? For sure. Um, so honestly, you have to balance them out correctly. I mean, Paul George isn't going to be back until what? I think November or December. He's going to sit out at least, I think, the first month, if I read that correctly. Yeah. yeah so he's coming like back that. from that shoulder injury. And then, you know, Kawhi, in order to be at his best, has to have low management. You know, he has to have, you know, some periodic games off and things of that. So, I mean, find a way to float. Like I said, they don't need to dominate the West. If they can get into a three or four seat, I mean, it's scary for anybody who matches up with the Clippers. So the only thing they need to do is get in there and then have a favorable matchup, you know. But they're good to go from there. But their main goal needs to be just getting some depth and kind of being able to balance, you know, those nights where you may not have Paul George or you may not have Kawhi or you may not have both. And how do you leverage that to you know, develop your young players and develop, you know, your role players while also maintaining, you know, that status quo and kind of getting into the playoffs so you can get a favorable matchup moving forward. Because you, you definitely don't want, you know, the Clippers at four and then the Lakers at five and then going into at the first round. I mean, it's, that, it's what the fans want to see. But ultimately, one of those franchises is going to be extremely disappointed, you know, based on having that first round matchup. So just finding something that works best as a happy medium. So, oh, definitely. Yeah, this year in the West, it's going to definitely be a, a lot about matchups. Although I do think that if there was one team that could just kind of fight through that, even if they didn't get a favorable matchup, it'd have to be the Clippers just because of all of the different options they have. But even with them, like, matchups are everything in the West. So it's definitely a game. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. <laughs> they had a crazy offseason. So let's just start off with the big trade. So they trade Alonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round picks for Anthony Davis. In order to make that deal work, they also traded Isaac Bonga, Jamario Jones, and Mo Wagner to the Wizards. Uh, guys they lost in free agency were Reggie Bullock, Tyson Chandler, Mike Muscala, and Lance Stevenson. While they... <laughs> They added little Giannis, Costas onto the Avery. Just makes no sense. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's Costas, uh, Avery Bradley, Quinn Cook, Demarcus Cousins, Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley, Danny Green, and Dwight Howard. They drafted Taylor Horton. <laughs> drafted Taylor Horton Tucker. And they re-signed Catavius Caldwell Pope, Alex Caruso, JaVale McGee, and Ray John Rondo. I'm going to let you go ahead and say what you got to say about the trade. Yeah. Just right. starting out. So, first of all, you know, if you have to trade to get Anthony Davis, you make the trade to get Anthony Davis. That's 10 times out of 10. What should have been the main focus for the Lakers would be it should have been to retain Brandon Ingram. He should have been the person that was retained. A lot of people say Lionzo. And given I like Kuz. I like Kuz a lot. But the playmaking that Brandon Ingram offers with his versatility on defense as well, it's going to be something that's missed, especially with a team that's lacking playmaking. Uh, you don't want to put too much onus on LeBron too early on. Rondo is a playmaker who can't score, so it really doesn't make sense. All you have to do is pack the paint, force him to score. If Rondo scores 15 points a night during the season, then the opposing team has won because that's exactly what you want to do is make Rajon Rondo a score. We have a healthy amount of role players, which are great, but at the same time, uh, if an injury happens to either AD or LeBron, we already have an injury with AD as well. So, I mean, we don't know how severe it is quite yet, but if an injury happens to AD or LeBron, who, you know, initiates the offense? Who, who, who makes things go? You know, you're traditional point guards, you know, aren't traditional by any means with, you know, Rajon Rondo, a point guard who can't defend or shoot. Uh, you have Cook, who, you know, is instant offense, but is unproven given his role in Golden State. You know, we haven't really seen him outside that environment. We know that he can somewhat score and shoot, but his defense leaves much to be desired. And you have a two-way converting Alex Caruso, who played, gave you healthy numbers as far as defensive efficiency. As, all, as well as three-point uh, three making and playmaking, but in a very small sample size. He's a you know, G League convert from a two-way contract. So point guard definitely needs some attention. And they know our shooting guards can't dribble the ball to save their lives with KCP or Danny Green. <laughs> so you really have no playmaking at that point. you know. And then you really 
have to rely on, you know, Kyle Kuzma to be essentially that third star or even playmaker, you know, someone who can create their own offense. And I feel like that's where, you know, the Lakers are going to suffer the most is, you know, when LeBron and AD are rolling, you know, they're going to be a great team. But if any one of them has to miss time, given injury or just load management, uh, you're going to see the offense bogged down quite a bit. You know, with so many role players who can't create their own offense. Oh, definitely, definitely. And that's also that's why it was so interesting to see, like going back to your earlier point, just how how much Laker fans really wanted to keep Kuz out of like their trio of young guys. But it's weird because Kuz kind of overlaps with Davis in a way because he like really is good at that power forward or just like that finisher yeah. role. Whereas Ingram out of the three, like you were saying, like he can get his own shot. Like he doesn't have to like rely on right. LeBron for all his like offensive success at the same no I agree, say. I, I agree. Uh, at the same time I mean they did add a lot of vets uh, if Danny Green and some of these other guys have anything left in the tank it's going to be it's going to be great for them it's still yet to be seen if Avery Bradley can hit open three point shots because I've never I mean I haven't seen it in yeah. years and then KCP so up and down so we'll see yeah um, yeah I'm, I'm just scared <laughs> you know my main thing is just with the Lakers their thing is they are really relying on LeBron and AB, honestly. Like, if they're not mm-hmm. facilitating or creating offense, then it's going to look very nasty how this, you know, offense looks because they don't really have someone who can break down the offense if you're just giving the ball to them to get a bucket if it's not LeBron, honestly. Even AD at some point has to be set up. You know, he's not really a, you know, Giannis type of big. You know, you could throw the ball to him in the post, but still you need someone who could throw the ball to him in the post. Like, we don't have that traditional yeah. guard, point guard, even forward, who could just break down the defense, you know, have them sink and collapse and then kick it out to the shooters, you know, except for LeBron, which is why I thought, you know, hot take right here, because uh, it's probably not the best thought, but they do need the additional playmaker. So I would have preferred for them to keep Brandon Ingram or they need to take, get like a Jamal Crawford. Like, and I know Jamal Crawford's not efficient or anything like that, but he's at least a threat for someone who can create their own shot break down the uh, defense and at least create some of those opportunities to, you know, kind of open up some shooters. Now, he doesn't assist the ball well by any means, but finding somebody to that extent who's available for cheap to be one of the Lakers' primary objectives while also strengthening up that small forward uh, spot, i.e. Andre Iguodala, um, just for those later matchups when they need to, you know, guard, you know, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, and you can't put LeBron on those matchups because we literally have no small forward defenders on our team. No, definitely. Um, I was going to say, no, also, yeah, and also, too, just like how we were talking about with the standings and stuff being so tight and wanting to get good matchups, there's going to be nights in the middle of the season where LeBron doesn't really have it going or, you know, he's kind of banged up. And you're going to meet that guy like Jamal Crawford that can just give you a lift in the third quarter or in the second quarter just get you through, like, just lapses, you know what I mean? And right now, it's just, it's going to fall to a guy like Avery Bradley, which is, like, loves mid-range shots, and it's just a super questionable performer. I'm, so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned because it's really going to be depending on someone getting hot. It's going to be either, the, like, uh, a triage of role players getting hot and having great nights, or Kuzma's got to step up and be the third guy. That's the only way. Yeah, I mean, and that's possible for Kuz. Oh. definitely is. Uh, for sure. I think also, too, one thing the Lakers have going for them is the West is super small outside of, like, uh, Denver and Utah. But even with Denver and Utah, like, their big guys aren't, like, well, with Denver, their big guy isn't, like, a paint enforcer. And then with Utah, Gobert has, has had his own struggles in the playoffs. So I think that JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard Anthony Davis, they can beat up on the teams like Houston, teams like the Clippers, like, teams like that. I don't think they want to, like, bang with them. Whereas, like, in the East, it's a lot slower of a game. So I think that they can play matchups with certain people and get by. And so there are favorable, you know, routes to the finals for, for the sure. Lakers. But the other thing is that I know it's preseason, but they definitely got exposed with their three-point coverage as far as, you know, handling the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets shot insane percentage from the three-point line simply because uh, mm-hmm. you're playing two bigs, essentially, in AD and Dwight or AD and JaVale who can't recover. You know, they head screens to try to get back, and they essentially leave a three-point shooter open every time. Um, so playing those, mm-hmm. you know, two bigs, you know, has its advantages on the boards and things of like that. But with the three-point line evolving the way it is and everyone developing a three-point shot, if you can't defend the three, like nine times out of ten, you know, you, you may lose the battle because, you know, three points are always worth more than two. So that's something to be cognizant of as well. 
That's true. That's true. So if you're ranking the title favorites, and I guess a better way to put it would be, would you put them in that tier of for sure, like title contenders, like top three or four Absolutely. favorites? I think the Lakers are there pending a healthy season from LeBron and AD. And I mean, healthy is in their playing at least 68 plus games a piece. You know, if they're, if, they, if, they're, if they're at that benchmark, we're certainly in the playoffs and we're certainly contenders. Uh, but we have to make sure that we're healthy transition. And I keep saying we, if you can't understand by now that I am a, a fervent uh, <laughs> Lakers fan. So that's what that is. But um, if we stay healthy, and that's going to be a big if, because LeBron is 35 and AD hasn't had the greatest track record of you know, remaining healthy, but uh, we certainly have a chance. So. Oh, definitely. And that's really the biggest, like, worst-case scenario for them, which is health. Like, it really comes down to yeah. that, for sure. Totally agree. For sure. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Phoenix Suns. So, <laughs> this summer, uh, they lost Dragon Bender, Jamal Crawford, Troy Daniels, Jimmy Fredette, and Rashawn Holmes. They traded Josh Jackson and DeAnthony Melton for Kyle Corver, who they waived, and Javon Carter. And then they traded TJ Warren, for cash considerations, uh, <laughs> which is crazy because TJ Warren had a career oh, year. Buckets, year, nothing but buckets. <laughs> okay, they added uh, or they traded the sixth overall pick for Dario Saric and the eleventh pick, which turned into Cameron Johnson. And they traded the protected twenty twenty first round pick for Aaron Baines and the twenty fourth pick, which turned into Ty Jerome. Uh, they also added Ricky Rubio and Frank Kaminsky in free agency and re-signed Kelly Oubre by extending his qualifying offer. Last year, of course, they were 15th for last place in the West, and they had a sizable gap between them and the 14th spot. So what do you think is in store for Phoenix? Things have been cursed with terrible ownership. Not even ownership. Their GM has been well, it can be ownership and GM as well, but both, they both. literally can't make up their minds. You know, like they they need to be in rebuild mode, honestly, and they're almost there. You know, they have a strong, you know, young nucleus with it at the bare minimum. You know, Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden. You know, that's that's a good tandem to build with. And you have a couple of other young players who could be nice, but they, again, they bring in these veterans like who think they're going to make immediate impacts. If we're going to bring a veteran, bring in someone like a Jerry Dudley, you know who's going to play much, but can provide you uh, great professionalism on work ethic and things of like that. Bringing in the Aaron Baines and the Ricky Rubios, who are probably trying to win now, it's just an unhealthy yeah. environment. Because eventually they're going to be worn out with you know the excessive losing, and they're going to want to leave, just like Ryan Anderson did, just like Trevor Ariza did, just like uh, Tyson Chandler did. You know, it's like, that amount of losing weighs on, you know, someone who sees their, you know, uh, time clock in the NBA shrinking, you know, by the year. So uh, if you're going to transition to a rebuild, you either bring, need to bring in veterans who understand that it's a rebuild and are there to understand the role. Phoenix Suns always getting this weird mix of, yeah, we're going to try to contend this year and then do a terrible job at contending and then create, you know, a toxic environment. You know, for their players. So either they need to go all in or all out, and they always do the half foot in, half foot out, which always leads to terrible results. So the Phoenix Suns are essentially a myth. No, definitely. And it, like the one positive is Ricky Rubio is a guy you know that fills a need that they've had for a long time at that point guard spot. Because um, they were running Devin Booker a point last year, and while he was doing good at the point, his natural position is at the two. But the problem is, like you were saying, is Ricky Rubio is a guy who is in the middle of his prime. And, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, wants to win. Like, that's the whole point of him being happy with the Jazz or whatever. Like, he's not a guy that's going to be happy and look up in the standings and you're already out of the playoffs in the second week of the season or right. something, you know? So, that can backfire. Same thing with Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines, what, you can think whatever you want about him, but the guy plays hard, and he definitely is one of those guys that is used yeah, to winning. Yeah, he's coming know? from the Celtics team whose whole foundation and crux is of winning, you know? And then Ricky Rubio was wanting to leave Minnesota um, because they weren't in the playoffs. So, you know, I understand he's in that position yeah. to get his money. But honestly, I think, you know, both took the contracts to maximize their money. And then within a year or two, if it's not looking mm -hmm. right, and with so much player control mm -hmm. now, they're going to essentially, you know, request a trade and ask to be shipped to a more competitive team. So, which again, you know, throws off the whole dynamic of the locker room. So I think Phoenix just doesn't know what they're doing right now. James Jones, you know, has what? How many rings? What? Three or four rings. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's not a, not a good GM. 
uh, up until this point. So, like I said, I think I'm in an era of confusion with the Phoenix Suns, as are the Phoenix Suns. So, oh, definitely, definitely. And it goes to show you, so you're a bad owner. It just ruins right. everything, as the Knicks oh, can oh, tell you. Boy, boy. So, <laughs> if you had to pick, you think they're going to be competitive, or you think they're going to be down where they were last year? Just if you had to pick. Right, repeat it. I'm sorry. Because if you had to pick, do you think they're going to be competing for maybe not like a playoff spot, but at least be like pretending to be, you know, competent? Or do you think they're going to just be right back down as one of the worst teams in the league? No, they're going to try hard, but they just don't have the talent or the balance to be competitive in a very competitive Western conference. So they're going to be where they were at last year, if not worse, because all the teams got better, you know. And they got marginally better, but a lot, I mean, most of the teams in the West got a lot better. So they're going to be where they're at or, you know, worse, honestly. Yeah, they're running the process, but not on purpose. So good luck to them. Uh, <laughs> next <laughs> next up, we have the Sacramento Kings. So this offseason, they lost Corey Brewer, Alec Burks, <laughs> Willie Cauley-Stein, Costa Kufas, Frank Mason, Troy Williams, and they added... Trevor Ariza, Dwayne Dedman, Rashawn Holmes, Corey Joseph, Tyler Lydon, and Tyler Eulis while drafting Justin James and Kyle Guy. Last year, they finished ninth in the West after falling out of the playoff race. I mean, we're a pretty you know, competitive team for most of the season. So where do you see them at hey, this man, year? I love, I love the Kings, man. I love the direction they're going. I love the young talent that they have, you know, with – you know, De'Aaron Fox, I like, oh, man, what's that kid? Oh, I like De'Aaron Fox. I like uh, I like Buddy Hill, even though he's older. Um, yeah, <laughs> man. I, I know he's older in the league, but, man, he's good. He's stout for his position, plays decent defense, gives you great three-point uh, percentage, you know. Almost is giving you like twenty a night, you know. What I'm saying on a on a competitive team, so so you can ask, what's his name? It's not Bobine, but it's a uh, Bobine. Bogdanovich, yeah. Hey, he's Bo-Hine. a little monster, man. I'm telling, you, he slept on. He's very skilled. Yeah. Uh, he has a nice craftiness about him. Good shot, you know. A good finisher at the rim. Um, as far as the layups and things, that defense leaves something to be desired, but that's okay. <laughs> and then they have uh, who's the guy they drafted last year? I'm, 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 I'm. The freestyle. He was the oh, talking about battle with Dane. Yeah, Marvin Bagley. <laughs> it was a decent battle with Dane, by the way. It was a whole other story. Uh, Marvin Bagley is nice, too, as well. Man. I, I got a chance to watch him on the select team with USA just as far as practicing. He has a nice mid-range game, uh, very explosive around the rim, and he has the potential to get better on defense as far as his athleticism. So, like I said, they have a strong, very strong nucleus, and that's just like their starters, you know. Uh, their bench looks pretty uh, good as well. Nice developing team. And I think the veterans that they brought in are the right veterans for a rebuild. You know, people aren't going to really compete for meetings at a, I mean, for uh, minutes at a high rate. Uh, know their role, know their position, and also know they have opportunity to kind of fight for a playoff spot. Do I think they make the playoffs? Probably not. But I do say they have a puncher's chance. They kind of get into the postseason. No, definitely. And I guess early when you said Buddy Hill, I was laughing because of how he forged his like birth certificate <laughs> or something like that. So he's like, yeah. he's like twenty seven or something. But anyways, uh, but no, yeah, Boa or Bogdanovich is definitely one of those guys who is like a, a fierce competitor. Like he's one of those guys that wants to go in and hit those big shots. Like, and that's the kind of guy you need. Along with guys like Corey Joseph and Trevor Reese, it's like they're definitely a competitive team. And I personally think that Marvin Bagley is like Pascal Siakam on steroids. Like he's the next Amari. Like he's going to average 27 points per game at some point in his career, like in the near future. I don't know about that one, Chief. I do, I'm, I'm a fan, but I don't know about the next Amari. I think well, it's uh, the game is similar. Also, the Kings played the fastest pace last year, so they're really like running with De'Aaron yeah. Fox. So it's a lot of yeah. possession. The Lakers should have had De'Aaron Fox. This is a conversation for another day. But yeah. Man, that would be nice. <laughs> also, Harry Giles. Oh, man. If you have yeah, the opportunity, follow this man on Instagram, Jizzle. It's amazing. <laughs> One of the best Instagram follows ever. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, yeah, definitely a competitive team. It's going to be tough in the West. I guess you're saying they don't think they don't sneak into that, to that eighth spot. And I kind of agree yeah. with you. Yeah, I feel like everyone got better. Um, and they, they got marginally better as well. Like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if they crept into that eighth spot, but I don't see it currently. Has constructed so yeah it's tough it's tough that's one of those things you just kind of wish was in the oh, east because yeah. they could really make yeah. noise it would be number six or five in the east uh, definitely so do you think that do you think they're gonna be stuck in that dead zone for a while and is that i don't know you think that's a, 
a bad thing for the franchise. Just being like in between like playoffs and like bad traffics. Not necessarily. Only because um their limbo state isn't bad and then they're gonna have a healthy amount of people entering their prime in the next two to three years with like legitimate potential. Like we're not talking about like Lonzo, Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart, you know, show flashes and then regress, you know, at a very inconsistent rate. We're talking about De'Aaron Fox, who's going to be a legitimate all-star at some point in his career, uh, creeping on the come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Buddy Hill, who pretty much knows who he is. You know, people aren't going off potential. He is what he is right now, and that's perfectly fine for what they need in their uh, team right now. And then you have Marvin Bra- I mean Bagley, who's, you know, I-, I think he has a healthy amount of potential to also be a, you know, perennial all-star as well. Pending that, you know, he continues his maturation, development, you know, and treats his body right. Um, he already has the skills necessary and that soft touch around the rim to kind of average double digits, you know, points and rebounds. So I say, I think their nucleus is strong enough to where they're going to be good in the next two to three years. And then they'll actually have some veterans who will want to come with them and take them to the next level. For sure, for sure. I definitely agree with that. Uh, also, they're one of the, like, one of the most entertaining teams to watch, like on League Pass and stuff. Yeah, no. So. Yeah, one of my favorite young teams right now. Definitely, definitely. Let's go ahead and move on to the Eastern Conference with the Central Division. The first team we have up is the team that, if our third host was here, he would love to talk <laughs> about, the uh, Chicago Bulls, which no one likes to talk about them right. but him. Right. But anyways, uh, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm we right. have uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, free agency uh, losses over the summer were Raw Alkins, Antonio Who? Blakeney, Walt. <laughs> Walt Lemon Jr., uh, Robin Lopez, Timothy Luwabu oh. Cabarro, my guy TLC. Anyways, uh, Wayne Selden. Uh, that was it for that. And then they added Luke Cornette and Daddy oh. Young, which are nice oh. pickups. Uh, they traded for Thomas Sadaransky in the signing trade from the Wizards, and they drafted Kobe White and Daniel Gafford. And re-signed Ryan Archidiak now to extending qualified offer. They extended that actually, and then uh, KC native Shaquille Harrison got a non-guaranteed deal. Root for him. Uh, Shout out, yeah, for sure. Uh, come, you know, come on the pod, man. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they finished 13th in the East last year and weren't that competitive. So, what do you see from the Bulls Shocker. this year? They weren't that competitive with that lineup. <laughs> but anyway, the Bulls will be another. Interesting team with another bad management again, a bad GM. And I'm sure our counterpoint part who isn't here can speak uh, greatly to that. But I do like, I I like Zach Levine, Lori Markkinen. I actually like the little flashes from Kobe White. And if Wendell Carter could be any type of decent, they have a strong nucleus moving forward. What they need to do now is just keep their head low and keep losing. That's, that's all they can do. Keep their head low and keep losing. I'm sure that's our game plan now. <laughs> uh, keep acquiring, you know, either high draft picks or very solid, you know, prospects. Um, give it two or three years, either flip those prospects to an established, you know, veteran and the signing trade or grow and see them develop with Kobe White, Levine, Wendell Carter, and Lori Markkinen. Like, I really feel like Lori Markkinen is a more athletic dirt. Now, obviously, he's not going to have the same impact as Dirk. So, and this is a very washed-down version of it, honestly. Probably closer to Porzingis than Dirk. But I really like what the kid does. You know, he can put it on your neck. He can also shoot it. Defense, you know, still needs some work on that. But I'm a Laurie Marketing fan. I actually think he's the best player on the team. I think Zach Levine is obviously the focal point, probably best scorer. Has a lot to his game. But he won't take that next leap until he really buckles down on defense. But, you know, if I'm put stake, put, putting my stake into anyone, it'll be Laurie Marketing moving forward for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, Laurie Marketing is definitely a nice piece. And him along with Zach Levine, there's going to be nights where they definitely explode. So there will be some, you know, positive moments in there. And if Wendell Carter can, you know, put it together better than he did last year, which we hope he's just, you know, he needs to get his feet wet a little bit. I think Carter and Markkinen kind of present, like, a good combo. Like, they kind of help each other out. I mean, boom or bust, honestly. They're going to work really well together or they're not too big, so don't really complement each other. I think Little Carter can provide good, you know, coverage for Markkinen. We shall see. (laughs) Also, too, Thaddeus Young, that's a sneaky good pickup because even though he's not going to improve at winning a lot, Thaddeus Young is one of the most professional guys in the league in terms of just, like, getting his work done, being consistent. He guards his position very well, like a real smart defender. 
hey, he would look great in the so, Lakers uniform. Lakers, be on the lookout. You know, if you need somebody guarding, you know, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard and put well, he can't guard Kawhi. Never mind. Daddy, stay where you at, baby. <laughs> the base is nice. One interesting thing we look at too would be that point guard position with like Sadoransky, Kobe White, Archie now and Dunn. None of them have really separated themselves at any point in their career. I mean, Kobe White's sure. new. So it'll be a battle for yeah, sure. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, Thomas Saransky should probably start simply because he has the most transferable skills as a point guard. I'm a big Kobe White fan because I like his boom or bust product. You know, I feel like he has a lot of explosive sneakiness to him. Uh, Chris Dunn is just a dog on defense, you know. So I feel like Chris Dunn should be the backup point guard in whatever situation it is. And Saransky and Kobe White should just be, you know, going at each other and training camp, kind of figuring out who's going to emerge as the legitimate, you know, facilitator on the team. No, definitely, definitely. So I guess the next thing would be, do you think that they'll challenge for an no, eighth? absolutely not. Not a chance. <laughs> One of the worst teams. Probably, I mean, I mean, Charlotte's probably going to be the worst team in the league, but the Bulls are going to give them a puncher's chance. So, like, they're going to be fighting it out for the worst team in the league. If you really think about it, though, the Bulls should not be as bad as they are some nights because they have talent, yeah. right? Like, they're not, like, devoid of talent like the Wizards. Like, the Wizards are just trash, yeah, like, like no offense. Uh, yeah. I mean, shout out to Brad Bill, though. St. Louis products as we uh, are. Right. He's been hooping. Right. He's been hooping, but nothing around him has. That's been. just what the Lou does, though. I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, no. The Wizards is going to be awful. Um, Charlotte's going to be awful. The Knicks are going to be pretty bad. And the Bulls are going to be bad. But I think out of those four teams, the Bulls have the most talent. Um, it should be a little bit higher than where they are. Honestly, they could, I mean, legitimately, if they put everything together, they could actually fight for AC. They've been so historically bad and you know, riddled with injuries and just bad ownership and bad trades and acquisitions that I think they'll end up imploding more than anything. So I think it's just mainly based on, you know, the history of the Bulls just being bad rather than the talent on the actual roster. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, they can always add more lottery picks if it comes down to that. So <laughs> let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, I forgot about them. Yeah, they're going to be fighting for the worst team in the league too. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty sad over there in Cleveland. So... This offseason, they lost <laughs> Jaron Blossom game. I don't know why I wrote his name down. No offense to him, but I was supposed to play people we know. Come on the pie, uh, bro. You ain't going to be doing much playing this year. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, they lost uh, Marquise Chris, Channing Fry, David Nwamba, J.R. Smith, and Nick Stauskas. And they added... Marquise Bolden, Timothy. Oh, yeah, they added Timothy Lowell Cabrera. It just threw me off because he, like, just left the team above that. They added Jarrell Martin and Cinderius Thornwell. And they drafted Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, and Kevin Porter Jr. Yes, they were pretty bad last year at 14th in the East. Yeah, so Cleveland Cavaliers. Anything on them? I'm excited to see Darius Garland. He won't be good for another two years, though. I'm not going to lie to you. He's going to put up a lot of points, though, because he doesn't have a choice. The pick last year is still a head-scratcher, and I'm blanking on his name right now. Colin said we talking about uh, yeah. still a head-scratcher. I don't know why he was that high. Um, not a bad, you know, tenacious guy. Good spirit. Still don't know why he was drafted that high. Um, and then you have Kevin Love. Don't know why Kevin Love is still there. And I, my prediction is that he will not be in the Cleveland Cavaliers uniform by year's end. I don't think it'll take. I don't I think it'll take. I think it's going to make a very quiet trade request, probably like a month into the season, once he gets you know, his legs back and, and gets back into like game shape. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as trade down line picks up, I think it's going to be like real under the radar, but he's going to be traded to probably like a contender or a more competitive team. And they're going to bring back, you know, Probably like a first round pick and a you know a solid you know prospect. Because Kevin Kevin Love has a lot of game left in yeah, him still. For sure, I think. for sure. You put him on the right team, you know, like a you know Portland or something like that. And yeah, he has you know power to change the game significantly. So just be on the lookout because Kevin Love still has a lot of game. You know, he can still get the boards and three point space at number four with, with very marginal defense. So, but yeah, you know, they're just. The Cavs are the Cavs, man. It's the LeBron James effect. I'm sure it's going to happen to the Lakers once he leaves. But, yeah, he, he essentially dismantles teams and have them looking like the Cavaliers look now. So, Man, I'm just looking at this Tristan Thompson guy. His contract is amazing. Of course. That's also like, the LeBron James effect <laughs> as well. So I got to salute LeBron James because he makes sure that J.R. Smith got paid, Tristan Thompson got paid. Hell, even uh, Timothy Mascoff, you know, after winning the championship, the Lakers man. and the great, you know, GM Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss collaboratively gave, you know, Timothy Mascoff $74 million for no reason. So, yeah, 
So LeBron James yeah, yeah. does make you look better than what you actually are, and then leaves your team with a bunch of bad contracts. So there you have it. Oh, definitely. Uh, I guess before we leave, I do want to give a shout-out to Chetty Osman. Definitely a big fan. Hopefully him and Kevin Porter put up some bu- buckets this year. You know, give the fans something to look at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I was going to ask what the realistic goals were, but I really don't. I mean, they should be angry for 14th okay. in the uh, East. If they get at 14, they had a great year. <laughs> wow. Had a great year. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely a lottery time for them next year. Hopefully. Maybe they get LaMelo, add another <laughs> guard to the mix. Hopefully they get Anthony Bennett back, you know. Because... <laughs> hey, chill, chill. I used to like Anthony Bennett. I was hoping for, you know, good things for him. Anthony, come on uh, podcast, bro. We'll let him Appreciate it. Tell us about Canada. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> next we have the Detroit Pistons. Last year, they lost, uh, or this summer, they lost Wayne Ellington, Zaza Pachulia, Lynn Robinson, Ish Smith, which, man, Ish is gone. That was bad. Uh, Isaiah, and Isaiah, yeah, definitely. And Isaiah Whitehead. They added Tony Snell in the trade that sent out John Lord. And they added Tim Frazier, Joe Johnson out of the Big Three yeah. League. And <laughs> dope. Uh, Markeith Morris, Derrick Rose, and Christian Wood. Uh, they drafted Siku Deboya and Jordan Bone. Pistons were eighth seed last year and lost in the first round to Milwaukee. What do you think is going to happen in so Detroit? Detroit will be the consistent perennial eighth seed as they always are and get knocked out in the first round as they always do. So. I mean, they just always have just enough talent to make it in the talentless East, but they have such a log down with, you know, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Reggie Jackson is way too inconsistent. Um, I do love D. Rose. I love his story, by the way. I love the way he keeps fighting back. I think he'll give them quality minutes. He may boost them up to a 70. But honestly, you know, Detroit's looking at the first-round exit regardless of what they have, even with the acquisitions of Big Three MVP, Joe Johnson, and Derrick Rose, they still don't get over the hump in my humble estimation. Yeah, I can definitely see them being an eight seed again. I mean, it's the one, like, I guess the way that they can get to maybe like that seven and six seed beyond just riding them Blake Griffin's coattails is if Derrick Rose and Joe and them just give them a boost off the bench. Because last year, they really had nothing, like, off the bench. Maybe even like a Luke Kennard if he takes another step. And maybe uh, Derrick Rose also might give. Reggie Jackson fewer minutes. Reggie Jackson is he's a French star, and the fact that he's your primary one of your primary scorers is a problem. He's a French starter in this league, and honestly, they need to bring in a young point that can really compete with him for minutes because he should be a backup. Mm -hmm. He should still get heavy minutes, but he should be a heavy minute backup point guard. He shouldn't be a starting point guard on anyone's team who wants to be a contender. Again, my opinion. Also, Tony Snell give him oh, good man. minutes, too. Stop with uh, Tony Snell, man. What? Hey, no, garbage, bro. Hot <laughs> garbage, bro. Like, did you see the, did you see the picture have, where he played 27 <laughs> minutes and had zero points? Yeah. Zero rebounds. <laughs> zero assists. Like, he's literally just getting cardio at that bro. point. Like, what, how do you do that in the NBA? I'm pretty sure I'll watch that game. And he really, he was just, you know, playing defense, man. He's playing solid I don't position. I man. Even Tony Allen, who couldn't score a lick, at least get you a rebound. And assist a couple. And of also, Tony Snell, he doesn't reach. He he plays solid. You know what I mean? That's hey, good. Well, Tony Snell, for most improved player <laughs> according to Shot. Go ahead and put it in your ballot. Hey, listen. What I'm really looking forward to is that thumb maker Christian Wood battle off the bench. Two of my guys, you know, <laughs> Christian Wood is a monster. So we'll, <laughs> we'll okay. see what happens with that. I'm <laughs> making the next Kevin Garrett. Yeah. I mean, Kevin L. Garnett. Hey, chill. According to Chill, time. chill, chill. <laughs> no, nah, oh, first of all, that, that never happened. I never said that, so don't listen right. to that guy. So I think that best-case scenario, they'll be able to move up to, like, that fifth seed and really Is make some it? noise. I think it's – Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Now, Blake Griffin is unstoppable. <sighs> wow. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ozzy Drummond shooting threes now. So. <laughs> is, he, is he making them? That's the question. <laughs> I mean, he hit the backboard. <laughs> it's a start. He really has nothing to do with He's like, listen, bro, we're going we're to get knocked out in the first round again. Might as well get a couple shots up, you know? Yeah, yeah I can't knock it, man. It's confidence right there. Uh, I mean, they Andre could... Drummond could get to the Clippers. It could be something real nasty. Now, it's not feasible, obviously, contractually, but like, that type of player and, like, for impact, yeah. you know, 
market or impact team, that can be the difference. They need to honestly, Detroit needs to blow it up. But we can we can, we can keep going because they're actually giving. I think it's also they're too- giving me that Atlanta two thousand what. 12 to like 15 mediocrity of consistently making the playoffs but doing nothing while doing so. Some of those Josh Smith Hawks? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think also to do with them is because they just moved into that new arena downtown. So they kind of just want to sell tickets at the point. this point. Man, so, I guess. They're not really... Yeah, it's one Time of those things. Up. I mean, also, I guess, I guess the other thing would be they have a possibility of missing the playoffs. Do you think that's like real... Possibility, or that's kind of like I think at okay. worst they're a ninth seed. At best, they're a sixth seed. That's 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 my skill for them. But I think this they have about an eighty-five percent of making the playoffs. I think they're almost a lot, honestly. Not a high playoff team, but yeah, they're being so bad. Them having at least one All Star, maybe two French All Stars, yeah. kind of gets them the bump they need to kind of get to the next step. And the East is just terrible right now, just dismantled. So if they make it. You see, they, they really are. They're, they're awful. They're so top-heavy, then it gets... They're definitely so top-heavy. It's, it's pretty awful right now. So, I don't I don't see them missing the playoffs. I mean, there's some decent teams at the bottom, but none of the other teams have, like, a legitimate, like, star. So, that's really what's going to keep, I think, the Pistons. Yeah, the Magic shouldn't kick the Pistons out. It's just my humble ex- expectation. So. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So, next up, we have the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. This all- yeah, this one's my favorite. <laughs> this, the Pacers are cool, I guess. But this offseason, they had... Uh, or this offseason, they lost Bohan Bogdanovich. They hurt. lost Darren Collison. Tyreek Evans uh, likes drugs. Uh, they lost Corey Joseph, uh, Wesley Matthews, Kylo Quinn, Davon Reed, and Thaddeus Young. They added Malcolm Brogdon in that signing trade. Uh, they gave up a couple of future like picks. Nothing, no great picks though. To the Bucks, and they. Gave some cash to the Suns for TJ Warren. Okay. Uh, they also added Justin Holiday in free agency, Jeremy Lamb, Walt Lemon Jr., <laughs> uh, <laughs> TJ McConnell, Jakar Sampson, and CJ Wilcox. And they drafted Goga uh, Batadze. Yeah, so fin- they finished fifth in the East last year and lost to Boston in the first round. What are your thoughts on the Pacers? I still love the Pacers, man. So I love Nick McMillan as a coach. I think he makes, you know, you know, lemonade out of lemons at all times. He's a great coach. He kind of brings the best out of everyone. Um, you know, it makes, you know, Sabonis like a legitimate six-man-of-the-year candidate. He actually should be a starter. Uh, Miles Turner needs to take a step. I mean, he's been too inconsistent too long. But if he just kind of becomes more consistent along with Victor Oladipo, I really like that starting lineup. And if T.J. Warren can do – what he was doing in Phoenix, they'll give him that scoring punch to be very competitive, you know, in the uh, Eastern Conference and then kind of get them to that next step as far as winning the playoff series. So I still really like them as long as they don't go through all the default too much because their offense became too dependent on his, you know, shot making and things of like that. Uh, losing Bogdanovich is going to hurt terribly, like terribly. Like, yes. hey, they, they, that's going to that's gonna be an unexpected gut check and trying to replace that with T.J. Warren. Is it going to work? <laughs> but, but I really feel like, because he doesn't have the – T.J. Warren is a score, but he doesn't have the playmaking ability uh, that he has, nor does he have the defensive versatility um, that they will lose as well. So that that piece is really going to hurt. They should have did you know, more to kind of retain that. I still like Malcolm Brogdon. I don't like him as much as everyone else is like uh, kind of hyping him up for this position, especially with the amount of money he's making. I thought they could have got somebody mm-hmm. better, especially with that type of money. I like the acquisition, just not at the price. Um, and I also like the TJ Warren acquisition as well. But I feel like they should have retained Bogdanovich because that was, I mean, he was just like literally maybe the heart and soul, excluding Oladipo of that team. Definitely. And kept them afloat when Absolutely. Oladipo was Absolutely. out. Absolutely. So, uh, who did he go to the Nuggets? Yeah, Bogdanovich. He went to the uh, the Jazz, which is Where'd nice. He go? The Jazz, the jazz. Was, not the Nuggets. The jazz, which is disgusting. Honestly, the Jazz. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to talk about them. What? what? I'm talking about the. What do you mean? I'm saying it's gonna be a great acquisition. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah that's no, nice. It's, it's such an underrated move too. I can't wait to talk about the Jazz because the Jazz are really going to be exciting this year. But uh, back to the Pacers. Like I said, they're going to be good. They're going to be like a six seed. They may win a playoff series, but they won't make it anywhere past, you know, the second round, especially with 
uh, the teams they have in the East. But I'm still an Oladipo fan, which I'm a speedy recovery. They have a solid team, good uh-huh. coach, but they're not quite there yet. They're, all, they're a piece of two, you know, away from being there. I think the thing with the Pacers is with the, the, the signings that they made and just the moves, I think they give themselves the opportunity to, you know, go further than they did last year, but they removed some of that safety net. Because Bogdanovich, like we were saying, is one of the sneaky, you know, one of the sneaky best glue guys in the league because he just does so much and he's just solid. Same with Thaddeus Young. These are guys that prevent your team from just bottoming out. Whereas TJ Warren, I mean, he can make another step. He's young enough to do that. And guys like Jeremy Lamb, like they can make, you know, bigger leaps or they can do more on a certain give, any given night. But also they don't, they're not as reliable. And that's the problem with the Pacers were. They were the most reliable team. Like you do what they're going to do every night play hard defense, and then score just enough to win. And I don't know if fair, I can say that. That's fair, I mean, yeah. That's I don't know if I can say that this year. And also, Malcolm Brogdon, as a guy that watched a lot of Bucks games last year, Brogdon benefited so much from playing next to a guy like Bledsoe because even though Brogdon wants to play the point, which is why he wanted to leave in Milwaukee, he cannot guard the point guard position. He's not quick enough, like, laterally to guard that position. And then on, offensively, he's a straight-line driver. He has no wiggle to his game. So I just don't think he can create enough by himself at that position. He's really a shooting guard. So it'll be interesting to but see how that combo guard when out. Oladipo gets healthy of kind of giving him the similar capacity that, you know, Eric Blesso gave, which just was way more offensive, you know, wiggle in a sense with, you know, Oladipo. Mm-hmm. He's going to, I mean, Oladipo isn't the defender that Bledsoe is, though, so he's going to have to work more on that end. But Oladipo can still lock down when necessary. So I think it's a similar capacity for him. I think it'll work well for him. He'll be more of like a combo off guard, and that'll kind of keep him more staggered, maybe like off the bench to kind of keep him, you know, in the game and things like that. But he's not a flashy player by any means. And like I said, at that price, I don't like it. Um, But I am a Brockton fan, but just not at that price. I definitely, I definitely feel that. Yeah, so do you think that they have an opportunity to, like, you know, make noise against, like, the Sixers or Bucks or, you know, get that three seed? (laughs) No. No, absolutely (laughs) not, actually. Um, Their goal should be trying to get as high as possible so they can play, like, a Detroit or they can play, like, uh, a Magic or Mm -hmm. something like that. Some of those people who are going to barely make it are going to be bad teams. Like, it needs to be Indiana's goal to have the best regular season record as possible because their thing is going to be solely based upon matchups. If they have the misfortune of getting Toronto, the Sixers, or the Bucks in the first round, it will be an early exit home with them losing their maybe five or six yeah, games. Definitely. Also, too, I guess go to backtrack really quickly is the problem I see, like one of the biggest problems is Sabonis and Miles Turner are both centers. Like you can kind of squeeze Sabonis at the four, but to get the best out of both of them, they need to be playing the five. So I was really looking at moving one of, or probably moving Sabonis. Yeah, I would try to, honestly, I would but, try to get Kevin Love, honestly, for cheap. Try to get him for Sabonis or try to get him with like a combination of somewhere else, but yeah, try to get that off. Try to get Kevin Love and give some spacing, some veteran leadership, and you know, could play well with Miles Turner. But losing Sabonis would hurt. I feel like he's more, I would invest more in Sabonis than Miles Turner, except because Miles Turner is just so inconsistent. Well, that's just my opinion. Also, you probably get more from Miles Turner, honestly, like on the open yeah. market. Or just, but I mean, it's definitely like a real risky no, move. It's definitely, it's definitely risky, but like in order to kind of just see where you're at, I would try to do it for Kevin Love just to see. I wouldn't move Miles Turner just because mm-hmm. it just wouldn't make sense. I think I think I do think Dante Sabonis. Like if I'm the GM, I would try hard to keep him on my team. But if you could try it out for one year with a healthy team, and you can swap him out for like let's say a Kevin Love with like a bad contract, and you know maybe attach like a second rounder, I would see what you mm-hmm. can do, and it will, it will legitimately give you a chance to at least compete with some of the upper echelon teams because at this current point they have no chance yeah yeah i definitely see that one good thing about them is i don't think that they'll fall like just out of the playoffs because like we were saying they do play hard and nate mcmillan definitely drills his guys and they play the right way so no, no yeah I, i'm a nate, McF- nate mcmillan fan so uh always look to them and i'm wishing sure. uh oladipo a speedy and healthy recovery as well definitely definitely all right so the last team we have is we the got Milwaukee another one Bucks. Who? 
<laughs> an amazing team, honestly. I mean, you guys get a chance to watch the Bucks. You should watch all eighty-two. They need, they need Jabari. To win. <laughs> hey, chill, chill, chill. I do wish they had Jabari still, but we're not gonna talk about yeah, that because the Bucks fans are turning the spot off instantly as I say that. But uh, biggest off-season losses are Malcolm Brogdon, which we just mentioned, was, went to the Pacers, and Tony Snell, which when he went to okay. the Pistons. <laughs> They also lost uh, Tim Frazier, Paul Gasol, and Nikola Meritich. They added the Nassas Antetokounmpo, Dragon Bender, Kyle Korver, Robin Lopez, Frank Mason, Wesley Matthews, and Cam Reynolds, and re-signed George Hill, three years, $29 million, Brooke Lopez, four years, $52 million, and Chris Milton, five years, $179 million. Last year, they were the number one seed in the East and lost the Easter Conference Finals to the Toronto Raptors. I'm gonna go ahead and let you say your thoughts right into my host field. <laughs> I mean, the bus of the bus, obviously. Um, uh, their only problem essentially was Giannis not having a jump shot. Otherwise, they would have been in the finals. So, I mean, given that he did carry them there, but you know, Toronto gave them the Giannis stopper blueprint right there. But anyway, losing <laughs> Tony Snell, who cares? Brogdon is going to be tough for them. Actually, their main problem is isn't necessarily their spacing because they do have capable shooters, um, but their shooters are too hot and cold. You know, Brooke Lopez has long stretches of either being really hot or really cold, and he doesn't give you traditional center play, if that makes sense. You know, he doesn't grab Mm -hmm. those boards. He does box out very well. Um, He does protect the rim fairly well. But, you know, he's a great post player, but he's traditionally to stretch the floor, so he's always at the three-point line. So it creates a weird paradigm. Mirchik didn't really give them what they need last year as far as being inconsistent. They even got benched in the latter stages. Ilyasova, like, was forgettable. Um, so, like I said, they don't have that. You know, it's almost similar to the Lakers thing of the, the playmaking, you know. If you exile Giannis and Eric Bledsoe isn't making shots, and he Eric Bledsoe has to play to his contract, period. Otherwise, they won't go far at all because he needs to be at least an 18-5 guy every night. If he's not that, they won't, they won't advance. Uh, Giannis is going to do Giannis things. I think he should still develop a mid-range. I think people are too focused on his three-point shot. But if he at least gets a mid-range that's respectable, it'll open up his game and open up the floor for him to get those drives or at least dish it off to capable shooters. But he's going to be very dependent on his team. This team, and he needs somebody just with a clutch gene to actually hit those big shots or can kind of take the load off of him when people literally have four or five defenders guarding him. And him kicking it out to people who are making no shots isn't a winning formula for success. So... If they're going to go big, then they just eat them up on the boards and just send him and Brooke Lopez down there and, and just grab boards. Or they need to get capable shooters who aren't scared of the moment, in my humble opinion. So. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's the one thing about the whole Brogdon thing that people didn't notice was that, yes, Brogdon was a 50-40-90 guy, but he's only taking like three three-point attempts a game. Like he was passing up open threes. So it was really hurting yes. the team like when they played the Raptors. So adding guys like Wesley Matthews and Kyle Corver who are like, they're gunners. Like they're getting up shots quick, quick release kind of guys who aren't scared. I think it will help. I think it will help replace some of that production. And at the same time, Chris Milton had kind of a, a, you know, a down year because he was getting two or three less shots per game because Malcolm Brogdon took that step forward. And Eric Bledsoe as well wasn't taking as many shots as he was, you know, at one point in the season when Brogdon got healthy or back on the roster again. So I think those guys are going to have to get back to you know, more of their scoring ways to replace some of that. But I think it will allow for more of a natural flow with the offense. Like, they had a lot of guys that kind of wanted to dribble the ball and do their thing at times. I think they kind of hurt the team. No, absolutely. For sure. And then also, too, with them, with the addition of Robin Lopez, I think he'll add enough depth at that five position to bang with guys like, you know, up there in Philly and stuff like that. I think that was a pretty nice pickup. And, yes, Giannis – from what I've seen in the preseason and just hearing him talk, he talked a lot about wanting to develop like a turnaround or just something to like a go-to move in the mid-range area. So that was really good to hear him say that on top yeah. of the three. So I do look forward to that happening this year and him just taking another step forward and just continuing to mature in For his sure. game. Do you think, I mean, would you put them as one of those like top three or four title contenders? Mm, that's tough. 
they are definitely up there. I don't know if they're three or four, but they're top five for sure as far as title contenders. I mean, Toronto obviously took a step back, but you still have the Clippers, Lakers, everyone in the West got better, honestly. The Jazz and the Nuggets. Um, but in the East, you still have, you know, the Sixers. And then the Bucks will be my one-two as far as the tandem for that. I would say they are a top five team simply because Giannis is a monster. And But honestly, the X factor on that team is uh, Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe is an 18 and yeah. 5 guy. They are legitimate title contenders and they are a scary team. The way he plays defense, if he can give you 18 and 5 and hit maybe one or two threes to make you respectable and maybe like a 35% clip, they're going to be a great team. If Eric Bledsoe shrinks in the moment, if he just plays, they're not going to be good. If he just plays how he played in the regular season, they would be very scary. It's like he, the playoffs, he's just a different guy. I agree. I agree. He's always like, the X Factor. I told you that last year when we was texting throughout the playoffs. I said, listen, X, I mean, Eric Bledsoe is going to be your X Factor. If he keeps shrinking, they're going to lose. And, you know, him shrinking along with everyone missing every three pointer that Giannis gave them, just created a you know, unwinnable situation. So definitely. Also, too, I think that with the Bucks, I think their biggest like competition is actually the Sixers. I think if they can get past the Sixers, it's not gonna get easier right in the stretch. But that's like the team that's most built to stop like Giannis, in my I, opinion. So, so, so it'll be interesting to see. Well, that's the same with the Sixers too. Like those are two really big teams. So it's gonna be really interesting to see in the you know, finals, like contrasting styles. We'll see what wins out. What I don't think will happen is I don't think they'll follow that top two. Just with how hard Giannis plays and them being in a contract year with him, I think they'll make any trade necessary to remain as competitive as possible just to get Giannis to resign. So they're going to be out there really gunning for 60-plus wins again. Yeah, as they should, as they should. And they're going to they're gonna be uh, heavy on that buyout market as well, kind of picking up veteran pieces and nice acquisitions that can kind of mm-hmm. give Giannis a breather and some, you know, supplementary help that he needs so yeah they're going to be active teams on that waiver wire as well definitely well that completes the the what's the pacific and central divisions it's a lot of, a lot of teams it's so crazy because i feel like like everybody with the exception of like three or four teams is interesting in their own way sure. it's crazy sure. it's gonna be a great year for basketball definitely definitely well that's gonna be it for tonight thank you guys for listening and we'll get back with you guys take easy bees we're out once again this has been the league an nba pod i want to thank you for listening and remind you to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts also you can follow us on twitter at the league nba pod to engage in the conversation we'll see you tomorrow as we continue to preview the nba team by team